I'm wanting to take you to the Himalayas as we start this morning, and I'm taking you to one of the most daring people of our generation. His name is Bear Grylls. He does daring and dangerous things, and he tells you of his experience and how he feels when things go wrong. Something goes radically wrong. He says, I stand there and I take a few more careful steps, testing the ice with each movement. I reach the end of one length of the rope and I unclip and I breathe hard and I grab the next rope. I hold it loosely in my hand and I look around, take another step, deep breath, then clip in to the line and then all of a sudden I feel the ground beneath me twitch. I look down and I see a crack in the ice shoot beneath my feet, the quiet slicing sound. I do not dare to move. The whole world seems to stand still. Ice once more cracks behind me. I'm falling, falling down this lethal black scar to the glacier that has no visible bottom. Suddenly, I smash against the grey wall of the crevasse and then I jerk to a halt as a thin rope that I've just clipped into holds me. I know it could break at any point. I feel a strong tug on the rope. Up I pull in time with each heave from above. Strong arms grab my grab my clothes and my and my windsuit and haul me from the clutches of the crevasse. I wriggle away from the edge out of danger and I lie there shaking with fear. It is Nima the guide who hears the collapse and Nima saves my life and I know it. As we go to my first main point, my first main point, we go there with Bear Grylls and we're to see God as he really is. See God as he really is. Just like Bear Grylls, you and I are in terrible danger. We do not walk in God's ways. We find ourselves doomed to death and endless terror. But Nima, the rescuer, is like our almighty saviour. Powerful arms of the Lord take hold of sinners like ourselves and for the rest of the journey, we must, I insist on it, we must see God as he really is. Verse 1 and Psalm 128. Psalm 128 and verse 1. Blessed are all who fear the Lord. Blessed, that's a standing, that's not a feeling. Blessed are all who fear the Lord. What is this fear? He's a self-existent God, a great God, all-powerful, all-wise God who gets angry because he needs to at times. God who created everything. A God who depends on nothing. Who creates everything out of nothing. Who puts us here this morning. What is it to fear him? Well, we're to recognize our danger and our doom. And we're to trust ourselves to the saving power of this great, glorious God. We're to trust in the love of a wonderful rescuer. And then we are to fear to displease the Lord who has brought us from doom to endless blessing. We're to fear to displease him. Why should you fear to displease the Lord? 
Well, trace the plan of the rescue. Trace it back to what God feels for you. The trouble with most of us is we do not feel, we're not really deeply convinced that the Father really loves us. We usually do not have much problem in grasping hold of the fact that Jesus loves us and has given himself for us. Jesus took your doom. You are blessed forever. But whose was that love that drew salvation's plan? The Father planned in eternity to rescue a redeemed people for himself. It cost the Father dearly to love us as sinners because it required the Father's willingness to send his unique Son. But more than that, you now experience that love every Every day. John sixteen twenty seven. John sixteen twenty seven. The Father Himself loves you and loves you and goes on loving you. It's continuous tense there, John sixteen twenty seven. The Father loves and loves and loves and loves you. What could be more wonderful than this? The Father comes to make his home with you. No need to do so. He was angry with your sin. He understood who you are and where you've come from and all the opportunities you had and what went wrong for you and everything else. He knows you, but he loves you. With so many Christians, they walk with the shocking trouble in their hearts as to what the Father thinks about them. It's almost as though they fear that they fear that behind the love of Jesus is a Father who actually is distant and dark and sinister. Very few Christians seem to carry in their hearts and minds what it is to enjoy the Father's love. They live dangling on that rope in the crevasse. What anxious, doubtful thoughts they have of their Father. What fears are right there in their hearts of the Father's goodwill and kindness to them. At their best, many Christians, many disciples of Jesus think there is no sweetness at all from the Father to them, except that sweetness that was purchased by the high price of the blood of Jesus. It's true that redemption alone is the way of peace with God, but the source of that rescue all springs from the heart of the Father. This really is the old trick of Satan. Same trick as the garden, the temptation with Adam and Eve. He doesn't really love you, it's always Satan's hate-motivated hint. He comes along with this hint. He doesn't really love you. Satan says, God begrudges you any enjoyment of life. God restricts your life. And so this great and glorious, wonderful, loving father becomes more like a policeman and a spoiler. And you know old Scrooge? That's what we start to think. Even if we talk about God being a God of love, it's really more like a cover-up. Underneath, we have a mistrust of God. Why aren't we delighting in the fear of God? Remember the prodigal son in Jesus' parable. This younger son has felt the smash against the wall of the crevasse. This repenting sinner is rehearsing his speech. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He doesn't expect to see the father breaking social etiquette, running down the hill, embracing him, kissing him, finding the ring, something for his feet, 
Getting the feast ready. No. Righteous Jewish etiquette requires a shaming ceremony, not a homecoming party. Just like his older brother, the younger son, has no sense of the father's love. This is the natural condition of so many of us. Our hearts are closed to the father because we think his heart is closed to us. This plague lingers with many disciples. It becomes a lifelong addiction and it so easily remains an ongoing tendency even if it isn't an addiction. The seed of this disease in the soul is already in us and is ready to flare up again and again at any time. But the facts are true. There's no gap between the love of the Father and that of the Son. Jesus died for you because the Father loved you. The Father's love is expressed, yes, in the death of Jesus, but the Father's love was never purchased by that death. The Father's love was there all along. The Father's love is the most wonderful dimension of the saving work of Jesus. Without these facts, we lose so much joy and peace and energy and worship and witness. This spiritual sickness is the result. Without these truths, how are we ever to fear to displease the Father? Blessed, blessed are all who fear the Lord. Psalm 128. Without this understanding, how are we ever to walk in the ways of our Father, the Covenant Lord? What do we need? Well, that takes me to my second main point. We see God as he really is, and now we must see the blessing of God as it really is. We go further down the psalm. The blessing of God is integrity. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. When we fear to displease our loving Father, we walk in his ways. We don't just avoid sin. We do the positive. We practice holiness. Jesus did, John 8, verse 29, John 8, 29, Jesus always did what pleased the Father. Always. It's the way of an anemic, sick disciple to say, I don't set up any other gods. Yes, but do you love and reverence and obey your true Father? In the second commandment, I abhor idols, but do you delight in his ways? I don't swear or profane the name of God by cursing and oaths. Yes, but do you glorify and honour God? I don't profane the Sabbath, I don't mess it up. But do you sanctify it? You do no work or dance, but are you lazy, wasting away the Sabbath? You don't wrong your parents, but do you honour them? You don't murder, but do you do good to your neighbour? You're no adulterer, but do you study temperance and a holy purity in all things? You're no slanderer, but are you sensitive about your neighbour's honour and credit and are sensitive about their honour as your own? When you fear to displease your father, you walk in his ways. This gives us integrity. 
We're completely different people when we do this. And we're motivated by a love. The love that drew salvation to plan. Then you enjoy the fruit of your labour. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will will eat the fruit of your labour. Put in these beautiful vegetables and then nothing comes of them. But you didn't go about looking after those little plants as you should have. But when you go about the right way, the best gardeners all know, you eat the fruit of your labour. What does this give us when we work and we do the job? The things in each day that God calls us to do, maybe it's only some little things we're called to do, If God had asked you to do some great thing, you probably would have done it, but he asked you to do lots and lots and lots and lots of little things in each day to honour him. This gives us dignity. Dignity. If you were to visit, say, Japan or Austria, you would find that all people of all ages find fulfilment in meaningful work. And this is your father's way of blessing. He wants you busy. Some of you will say, how can I find dignity when I can no longer work? The challenge is that no matter what your age, all true Christians, all disciples are priests. No matter what your limitations are, praying for yourself and praying for others is your real work. And we could all do that. No matter what our disability, no matter what our circumstances, no matter where we are, even when we're on holiday, we can Find this dignity in doing our real work. Our songwriter in Psalm 128 is using broad strokes in verse 2 when he promises prosperity. We have dignity because of our work. We have integrity because of the kind of people we are. But we also have prosperity. This is using broad strokes. This doesn't mean that everything will always run smoothly and that you'll never be short of a dollar. It does mean that you are promised that you'll never be the loser in the long run. Whatever life holds, you'll never be the loser in the long run. God will see it ultimately that you prosper. The blessing of verse 3 is also a blessing of not just prosperity and dignity and integrity, but beauty. Blessing There's beauty in relationships. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. It's not accurate to restrict this part of the song to just fruitfulness. Here is a picture of attractiveness in companionship. The vine in Hebrew culture means sweetness, peace, fragrance, and richness in blessing. Then there's the blessing of vitality. It's also in verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Here are transplanted shoots, born again family members in your very own family circle. Your loving father is at work transforming your loved ones as his new creations. The Holy Spirit changes those close relatives from what they were by nature to what they are and what they become by grace. This is because the Lord draws you to pray without ceasing for those close to you. 
You can't help yourself. You know he loves. And he loves. And he loves. And he plans to have people in his family. And he constrains you by his spirit to pray. You have dignity. And you have vitality. This life comes into your family circle. You might not always see that life come. Might be after you've been and gone. But vitality is there. God answers prayer. The Holy Spirit changes those close relatives. Could there be any promises better than these, this series here? Integrity, dignity, prosperity, beauty and vitality. That's because the Father himself loves you. Loves you. My last main point. We need to see the future as it really is. I just alluded to that a minute ago. See the future as it really is. This wonderful song moves from just being about yourself and then your immediate circle of family and talks about the community. And further than that, the community in the future. The ending of verse 5 and 6 is not just a prayer, but it's an affirmation. You will without any possible doubt see the prosperity of Jerusalem. You will. Without any possible doubt. It's so easy to focus on all our attention on how the church is prospering right now. We're meant to be realists and to work with all our might in doing what is best for the present. And what do we see? We see trouble and difficulties and many discouragements. We're meant to recognize our enemies, the enemies within our own personality. And to see such forces as Boko Haram and militant atheism. It's the same with Bear Grylls in his mountain climbing. He's up there. There's severe pain, there's high altitudes, an electric storm. And then the desperate need for more energy. Bear has already had a terrible fall when he was parachuting in South Africa. He's got this desperate need for more energy if he's ever going to make it to the top. All these things add up to a sinking heart. How does Bear keep going? It's amazing to read this book, his autobiography. I reach into the top of my backpack and I pull out a few crumpled pages wrapped in plastic. I brought them just for this moment Isaiah 40, verse 29 to 31. Isaiah 40, verse 29 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard, Bear? Have you, haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He's there just as much up in the Himalayas as he is anywhere else. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. And then they'll do the hardest thing, they will walk and not be faint. 
Are we able to get through each day and the ordinary things of each day? Bear goes on to explain those simple Bible verses, not particularly simple, but that's what he wrote, those simple Bible verses would ring in my head for the next night and day. Just look at the climax of Psalm 128. This is the big picture that must come into focus when the going gets tough. You will, without any possible doubt, see the prosperity of Jerusalem. You will, without any possible doubt, live to see your children's children. You will, without any possible doubt, see the peace of Israel. Settle this great truth in your heart that no matter what trouble hits God's people, it's by permission, no matter what it is, it's by permission of a loving father. Your father permits nothing out of which he will not bring much, much, much good at last to his people. Remember what God did at the cross of Jesus? The greatest possible good has come from the greatest possible disaster. If your father can bring so much good out of the worst evil of sinful people, how much more can your God overrule every trouble, every difficulty and every discouragement? Has our God forsaken his people? Has he sold them into the enemy's hand? Doesn't God see what's happening to myriads of his children? The church's enemies, yes, are many and mighty. But remember what Joshua and Caleb argue when they give their report of the promised land. In Numbers 14.9, Numbers 14.9, Joshua and Caleb argue, do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. I look at all of you this morning and I say, is anyone, anyone here this morning discouraged? Isn't just one almighty with thousands of mighties? Does your father's presence mean nothing to you? Romans 8.31, Romans 8.31, since God is for us, who is against us? Yes, the opposition is real. But there is no doubt that, no doubt at all that God is for his people. If God is not with his people, how is it that they're not swallowed up so quickly? Why is there anybody here this morning? Do the enemies of God lack power, malice, opportunity? Oh, there are so many powerful enemies and they're so malicious and they seem to get lots of opportunities especially in this continent there is an invisible hand upon God's people how do you estimate the prosperity of God's church by the ease that this church and other churches have in this world by the splendour of this church and other churches and by the numbers that the modern church this century it seemed to be in woeful decline go to my hometown a tiny little place with four or five churches 
Hardly anybody goes to church anymore. How do we estimate how the church is going? What do we look for? Do we look for humility and obedience and faith and patience and heavenly mindedness? How do we look at the church? It isn't persecution and prisons, but worldliness and compromise that always has been the poison of God's people. To have clearer discoveries of your own heart, to learn to pray fervently and frequently and spiritually and to look forward to heaven itself more ardently. Aren't these the greatest blessings of all? The blessings of your loving Father? Estimate God's people in the way that you should. People who love him, respond to his love, who speak to him frequently, spiritually, and look forward to heaven ardent, ardently. Well, as I conclude, we have a feast ahead of us. You heard of those weddings that they have in India? I, I have to do with uh, students who come from other parts of the world. On Tuesday night I teach English to people who come to Australia as migrants. and they, You can't get into the class unless English is only your second language. And we hear about the most extraordinary different culture, cultural practices. A wedding can go for a week. I ask you to think of that loving father coming to meet you for the rest of your life, feasting with you, not just for the week, but for every moment that is ahead for you. He had the ring. He had the sandals. He had the robe. And he wants to, you to enjoy that feast for the rest of your life. He welcomes you. Come along home with me, we're on the way. And you'll feast with me on the way. Let's speak with him. Lord God, we thank you for this wonderful little song. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as we think of the parable of the lost son and the older brother, we think of yourself as the welcoming father. And we think of your very own words, Lord Jesus, that you do care about the lost. We think of the words of your enemies when they speak of yourself, Lord Jesus, that you're the one who welcomes sinners. But we thank you that you not only help us to see that we're lost, but that you find us and make us your own to enjoy our walk with yourself, serving you enjoying you, knowing the integrity of fearing to displease you and seeing the beauty in relationships around us and the glory and the wonder of you bringing people to yourself, that vitality. Oh God, we ask and we beg of you that we would never again see you as the policeman in our lives, the Scrooge, and the one who is wanting to rob us of enjoyment. Go with us in each step, Holy Spirit. May we be in step with you.
bringing honor to the Savior, our Redeemer and friend. And it's in his name we plead. Amen.